0: this Advent, we're looking at Christmas in the Old Testament. We're, we're trying to take a look at how the New Testament makes use of the Old Testament, and in particular, in the, uh, in the Christmas story. And last week, I covered a few important things I need to recap because we're going to build every week in this series uh, on the prior week. Last week, I made sure to make a point that prophets don't do what we often think prophets do. We often think about prophets predicting the future and so we read the prophets and we expect a uh, prediction to be fulfilled later most of the time that's not what the prophets are doing the prophets speak for god a lot of times it relates to what they're currently going through or have recently going through so they use the history to help them understand the present and then sometimes that looks to the future yes but often not through predictions i said moses is the greatest of the prophets and he did no future predicting then I use the image of glasses to help us think through these passages. First of all, I talked about the idea of a Jesus lens, that when we go back and read the Old Testament, we read with the Jesus lens, which means we sometimes see things that uh, was not originally uh, intended but, but is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I also talked about the idea of bifocals, <clears throat> that in bifocals you have a nearsighted and you have a farsighted section of the glasses, and that we need to be able to use both. We need to look at these Old Testament passages to understand what they originally were talking about, and then pull ahead to the New Testament to understand their application to Matthew and Luke. So we're using both focal points, and we're sort of going back and forth. So today I want to take a look at the idea of the Messiah. And we're going to read some passages that get used to describe Jesus in Christian history. Uh, we are paying especially uh, We are paying special attention to the book of Isaiah, And so I I need you to understand a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah has sometimes been called the fifth gospel. I mean, it has such an impact on the way the gospel writers view Jesus that that it's almost like a fifth gospel. It's important to understand that the book of Isaiah is really probably more like three books. There are three sections in the book, and scholars call them 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, and 3rd Isaiah. 1st Isaiah is from chapters 1 through 39, And it's from before the exile, before the people are taking off. Second Isaiah is chapters 40 through 55, and it's written in the exile. And then third Isaiah, Isaiah 56 through 66, deals with things after the exile. So the perspectives are a little different. All three parts of Isaiah stand in a long tradition of Old Testament books and other prophets that imagine a different kind of world. Mean I mean what they what they're really thinking is, okay, if God is who we say God is, okay, if God is the maker of all things, if he's the sustainer of life, if he's the ruler of all things, then why is the world the way it is? Okay, why is there pain and why is there suffering? Why is there injustice? Why are some people held down while other people do well at the expense of others? It ought not to be. If God is good and powerful, then evil should not be around Pain and death should have no standing, and rebellion against God should be punished. And so all, all the prophets in the Old Testament start to have this imagination of, okay, if God's like that, then the world won't always be like this. And so the world is going to change. There's a conviction, and it develops in the Old Testament. We don't see it as much in the older parts of the Old Testament. But but as things go along they they think the the world's got to be different and they actually use like prophets often do they use the past to help them understand what's going on in the present and in the future right so they remember israel's story they think about creation and moses david and the kings and they use the temple in jerusalem to give language to this future that that they think has to be out there somewhere so let me let me just read a few passages in isaiah uh, we, we could use a number of other passages, like passages from Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Hosea. But but let's just, for today's sake, stay with Isaiah. First, let's read from 1st Isaiah, the early part before the exile, Isaiah chapter 2. And uh, um, I'm going to be just reading like pieces, like a couple of verses from these passages. You can go back later and read the fuller context. So this is from Isaiah 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountains and shall be lifted up from above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war more. Okay, so notice... What's the imagination? The imagination is some latter day that's going to be where the temple in Jerusalem are going to be, God's going to rule from those places. They're going to be firmly established. The word of the Lord will come out of Zion. He will judge people. He will rule the nations. In fact, nations won't need to have war anymore. They won't need to have weapons of war. This is a very hopeful vision for people that are scared of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And see exile coming. Now let's go a little later in Isaiah, to 2nd Isaiah, while they're in exile. This is from Isaiah 35. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man leap like deer, and, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness streams in the desert no lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it they shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the lord shall return and come to zion with singing see this is in exile and so second isaiah here is is imagining a a world that's made right where people come back from they return from the exile where um, disabilities are no more Right, lame man, no more mute, no more, blind, no more, deaf, no more, and that creation is where it should be, no more lions, no more ravenous beasts, and and probably when it says ravenous beasts, they're also thinking of the Assyrians, right, so they're imagining this this new world, full of gladness and joy and without sorrow, where where Zion is restored, so they're looking here at creation and uh, the establishment, reestablishment of Jerusalem. Now let's look at later exile. Let's go to Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindle, uh, kindles brushwood. The fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and to the nations might tremble. For of no one has heard or perceived by ear, no one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. This is a call for God to work in mighty ways, the way that God did before in the stories of Israel. It remembers Sinai, God's establishing the people. What a vision for people that are trying to figure out how to make their way in a new world, having returned from exile. See, so the the Isaiahs, or Isaiah, is imagining this new world, but but they're doing it through the lens of their uh, their own world and their own experience and their own times. By the way, we do the same thing. We always tend to interpret God through our own times. But Isaiah is seeing a new world, a new political reality, and he's associating it with the nation of Israel. And so you get in the prophets this idea that the world's going to someday be different. And, and in some of the books, uh, there, there's more of a sense of judgment. Uh, in others, there's just this sense of peace. Now, uh, as this, this idea of a new world develops, the idea in parallel develops that somebody's going to have to bring in this new reality, some kind of leader. Some kind of work of God, but also God working through particular people. That there would be an anointed leader. It's called in the Old Testament a Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one. The word actually uh, relates to the oil that would be poured over someone's head when they are anointed, like King David was anointed. A Messiah is not necessarily God. In fact, uh, Cyrus of Persia, who was a pagan ruler but let the people come back, to the promised land and the return. Cyrus is called a Messiah. It just means that you're anointed by God, that God's Spirit is upon you and you are uh, blessed. In the New Testament, the Greek word is Christos, Christ. Again, uh, it, the Christos is a word for oil. Okay, there's, there's two kinds of oils Christos, which is kind of your everyday oil, and, and pistos, which is like this really fancy oil. And so, again, Christ is the anointed one. Now, so the work of God, uh, this gets a little tricky sometimes in uh, these books, particularly in Isaiah, because is God going to do this work, or is a human being going to do this work? Right? That's the question. And sometimes it seems like God is doing it. Sometimes it seems like a human being is doing it. Sometimes it seems like God is going to win the victory, but then a human being is going to be anointed to rule after God's victory. So God reestablishes the kingdom and then puts an anointed leader on the throne. So there's a lot of different visions of what Messiah is going to do. Let's look at a few passages in Isaiah again. First from Isaiah chapter 9. You will recognize some of these passages Uh, Some of them are used in the New Testament, but a lot of you will recognize them from things like Handel's Messiah, who, uh, when when he wrote that, went through the Old Testament and found these Messianic passages. So here's Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased the joy. They rejoice before you. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, so this is tricky, right? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. So who's going to do this? God. God. But at the same time, it says a child is born and a son is given. There's going to be a person who's going to govern, who's going to rule on the throne of David. And what's he going to be called? Wonderful counselor, but also mighty God. So is this a person or is this God at work? And uh, what part is God doing and what part is the person doing? I'd say it probably has in mind here the birth of Hezekiah, as we talked about last week. Um, this uh, king that was going to help save Israel from the Assyrians, or the lower area, Judah and Jerusalem from the Assyrians. Whoever Isaiah is referring to, he will peacefully reign David's throne forever and ever. So maybe it's more than a human. Okay, you you can see the tension going back and forth in that passage. Here's another one from Isaiah 11, you will have heard at Advent before. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord, and he shall judge by what his eyes sees, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide for the meek of the earth. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Right, so there's there's this coming one who will be from the line of David. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will judge the world. And again, creation is wrapped up in this, not just political realities of Israel, but also the the there's going to be a wolf dwelling with lamb. Right, no more attacking animals. No more uh, in, of any. Everything will be peaceful. Everything will be peaceful. Now, let me read one other passage from Isaiah 61. This passage is not in the Christmas story, but it is important because in Luke 4, Jesus walks into a synagogue at Nazareth, reads this passage, and says that these words are fulfilled in their hearing. In other words, Jesus says this is about him. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Messiah, to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And on it goes. We see here, again, we're in Isaiah 61, so we're late. Uh, uh, We're after exile. And you can hear the ending of mourning in Zion, the building up of ancient ruins if you read the whole passage. But this is someone who is filled with the Spirit of the Lord to bring good news to the poor, brokenhearted, the captive, right? Again, this new world, somebody's got to bring it in to where there's no injustices anymore. Jesus looks back and says, this is about me. Now, we could go through a lot of other passages in Isaiah, other passages in the Old Testament, but but for now, I think you can see that even in these three uh sections of isaiah there's a lot of differences in what kind of messiah is going to be what kind of world this is going to be in fact we should expect this there's actually a saying a jewish phrase that says two jews three opinions in other words it's expected that that if you're jewish you have multiple opinions on multiple things The Old Testament is like this. There's a lot of different understandings of what the world's going to look like and what the Messiah is going to look like. And and they don't all agree. Sometimes it looks like God God is doing it. Sometimes it looks like a person. There's no single um, portrait of the Messiah. Even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we find a lot of stuff about an upcoming Messiah, and it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't agree even about all those expectations. And in fact, there's a lot of these expectations that Jesus doesn't fulfill or at least hasn't fulfilled yet. I mean, first of all, we got to think about this. Again, we're going bifocal, so We're looking back, we're looking now. Isaiah and the prophets seem to see these visions as something that would happen soon and dealt immediately with their political and national problems and realities. So, so they're not thinking of, uh, of a, a Messiah coming way later. They're thinking of a Messiah that's going to save them from now. And while they can, we can see some of Jesus in these expectations, there's a lot of elements that, that don't seem to fit Jesus at all, or at least he doesn't fulfill them yet. And, I, and, and, and I've already wrestled with this, that Isaiah is probably seeing Hezekiah, probably seeing King uh, Cyrus of Persia as a Messiah. As, uh, and, and so there's all kinds of people who are anointed by God. And yet even looking through their, their narrow view of their own reality and not able to fully see the picture, we can look back with the Jesus lens and see how how they're seeing part of God's plan and we can see how Jesus fulfills those plans, right? They, they're in the middle of the plan, but we can look back and see how Jesus was coming to fulfill these things. And interesting enough, Jesus was coming to fulfill them in ways that they would not expect, so let's cover a few of these ways that, that Isaiah doesn't quite see the full picture, but we can. Number one, while Isaiah seems to go back and forth between God doing the work and this Messiah figure doing the work, in Jesus we find that the Messiah figure and God are one. He's fully God and fully human. And so it's a little confusing for Isaiah, and he's trying to parse that out, but through the Jesus lens, we can look back and say, oh yeah, he's fully human and fully divine. Number two, Isaiah could not imagine or foresee the split mission of the Messiah. What I mean by that is he can't imagine a first coming and a second coming. He assumes when God does the work to save the world, that then he's going to rule for eternity. He does not imagine Jesus leaving, only to come back later to finish fulfilling everything. Isaiah can't imagine that it's a two-part mission, but we can look back and see that it was different. Number three, Jesus does not bring the new world with military victory or political power. That's that's how Isaiah envisions it. But he's born in a manger, not a palace. He uses a cross, not a crown. The only crown he gets is a crown of thorns. Not military or political victory, but humility and suffering. Number four, Isaiah would expect the stump of Jesse, this ruler from David, to rule the nation and the world, not a small group of simple disciples. Okay, Of course, we are expecting that kingship that's still to come, right? But Jesus doesn't, doesn't take over and rule everything the way that Isaiah is expecting, at least not yet. And then because of that, number five, uh, Isaiah looks for the anointed of Messiah to be, to be filled with God's spirit. What he can't see, is that the followers of this Messiah would also be anointed, would also be filled with this Holy Spirit. That the followers of the Messiah, the anointed one, would be anointed themselves. He can't imagine Pentecost. He doesn't understand how the Holy Spirit, as Jesus, would leave this world, would come into our lives, and then we would continue the work of the Messiah, bringing justice, fighting for peace, working to make this world right until Jesus comes again to, it, to complete Isaiah's vision. So you see, we look back with the Jesus lens and we can see parts of the story that Isaiah could not imagine. And that last point is what I want to leave you with and I want you to remember from this sermon, that you are anointed, that you are full of the Spirit, that you are called to continue the work of the Messiah, bringing healing bringing wholeness, bringing peace and righteousness to this world until he comes again to complete the vision that Isaiah could only see small glimpses of. As we continue towards Christmas, may your vision of the Messiah become larger. And, and may your visions of how you, are anointed, you are, are anointed to follow that Messiah grow as well.